It is a blessing to, to be here, and um, we're looking forward to this week that we can have together. Um, uh, my wife and I, we've been blessed with four uh, wonderful children and a son-in-law, and so I thought maybe I could just begin uh, just this time just in introducing my family to you before we go on to what God has put in my heart to share with you. Um, Terry will be joining us, of course, tomorrow. On the bottom row, on the, on the right there, is my daughter, Sarah. She's uh, 28 years old. She's living and working in Washington, D.C. at a nonprofit called, um, um, uh, anyways, uh, International Rescue Committee or something like that, but working with political refugees uh, that are being settled in the United States. And then in the behind her, our daughter, Becky, in the black dress. Uh, she's an artist and works for an art organization that uh, connects uh, mentally disabled people with local artists and they have classes and it helps them. It's a really cool program that they have that they're doing there. She's a program coordinator for that and her husband Peter works at the VA hospital. And then next to my wife is my daughter Rochelle. She's um, um, a nurse at a, a NICU in uh, Grand Rapids and so she's taking care of the real tiny babies and always has a story to tell us uh, when we get together. And then our son Thomas is a freshman. He's 19 years old, a freshman at Calvin College and studying biochemistry and looking at pre-med and, and going in that direction. So God has been good to us. We spent many years in Africa uh, working um, in Gabon, doing church planting and theological education and uh, leadership training. Uh, but in 2007, uh, God changed directions in our ministry. We were redeployed from Africa to France. And um, you might ask yourself the question, well, uh, why, why France? Uh, we, when we think of missions, we often think of developing nations like Gabon. Uh, but why France? We've had a little bit of the technical difficulty with the video, so you're only going to be able to see three minutes of it. But I still think it gives you a good glimpse of why we're heading in that direction. Let's watch that. News to um, uh, interview young people in the street, and that's a uh, well, that's a very appropriate closing remark. You know, most of his friends are atheists or agnostic, and uh, France. I mean, I mean, Terry and I love France and love the French culture, and there's so many wonderful things to say about France. But there is this aspect, this reality, that it's a very secular, secular place. And if you would have been following any of the things that happened with the Charlie Hebdo. Uh, shootings uh, just back in January. Uh, it's just touched a nerve and just revealed the, the secular um, the place that it is. And so that's, uh, um, and so our Father, you know, when we look at a country, you know, our Father's, our God's heart breaks, you know, and cries for these young people. His desire is to bring them into His family, to provide for them and perfect, uh, you know, uh, protect them and, and look after them. He wants them to to know him. Um, and, you know, the, the Bible is that story. The Bible is a story of mission. It starts off uh, in, with a question. In chapter 3, after Adam and Eve had sinned, what do we find them doing? They're, they're fleeing into the garden. And they're hiding from God. And God comes after them. And he, and, you know, and, and pursues them. And he asks them this question in, in chapter 3, verse 9. Where are you? Now, he didn't ask that question for his benefit, did he? You know, he knows all things. He knew where they were. It was for their benefit. It was a redemptive question. Where are you in relationship to me? 
There's no important question in all of life than probably that one right there. Where am I in relationship to the Father? And that's how the Bible begins. And then as we read through the pages of Scripture and we follow it along, we, we end up, in the, it just continues, we see the Father seeking and pursuing and drawing the peoples of the world back to Himself. And we finish the Bible in, in um, Revelation chapter 22 with an invitation. In verse 17, it's simply this, come. Come home. The Bible starts with a question, where are you? And it ends with an invitation, come, come home. To me, And that's, that's the story of mission. When we're talking about missions like we're doing this week in missions conference, we're talking about what is at the very heart of God. We have a core value in the Alliance. It's simply this. Lost people matter to God and He wants them found. That's one of our core values as a movement. Lost people matter to God and He wants them found. And I want you to know that you're part of a great movement that's working all across the world. There are over 700 international workers working in more than 70 different nations of the world. And most of those places are places that are very difficult to, to go into, places where have very little access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this morning I want to talk about two biblical principles that I think can help us um, be team players in what God is doing in and through the Alliance throughout the world. Let me, um, let me pray first before we continue on. Father, I pray that your fire would fall fresh and anew upon us. Your spirit would be moving in our midst. There is a new thing that you want to do in our lives. Thank you, Father, for what has been done. But what's the new thing, Father? Use this time of worship this morning, the singing, the praying, the preaching. Uh, Father, perhaps there's things that... Um, I haven't prepared, but you want to say, speak, Lord. We are now. We open ourselves up to you. We say, here we are. Speak to us. Work in our lives. Um, so thank you, Father, for what you're going to do. In your name I pray. Amen. The first principle that we want to look at, we're in the book of Romans, chapter 10, and these verses will come from there. Um, but it's the principle of the overwhelmed overflow. Now, what do I mean by that? The overwhelmed overflow. I was explaining to, to the group in the first service that, uh, explain it this way. I'm a fan of Bed Bath & Beyond. Uh, do you have Bed Bath & Beyond around here, right? I thought the, the first service said you did, so I know you do. So if you say no, I know you're checking up on it. Um, well, we uh, just moved back to, uh, when we moved back to the States last July, we're here for a year doing serve, uh, ministry like this. Uh, we bought a new house for the first time in our lives, and so we've been uh, to a lot of garage sales, uh, trying to fill up their home because we just came home with our suitcases, and also to stores like Bed Bath & Beyond. And I really have come to like the store, uh, because I'm cheap maybe, I don't know. But um, the first uh, couple of times I went in, they have these 20% coupons you can cut out of you know, the newspaper or whatnot, but I forgot to take it in. And so I tell the sales clerk, I said, oh, I forgot my coupon, and she says, no problem, don't worry about it. Just bring your receipt back in and the coupon and anywhere up within the year will give you, you know, your return on your, 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 your reduction. And so I, you know, I made me happy, you know. And then um, because we had all this uh, used furniture, I thought it would be a good idea to maybe steam clean some of it. So I bought this real nice steamer at Bed Bath & Beyond. And um, I bought it on a Friday. On a Saturday morning, I just started, you know, steam cleaning everything. And then I had this idea, you know, the couch didn't look so great, so I thought maybe I should try steaming underneath it. 
So I was you know, trying to lift it up a little bit like this and do one of those numbers, not real smart. And I lost control of the couch and it fell over onto the cleaner and broke it. I wasn't happy. I just spent all this money. So I called up the um, company and said, hey, can I buy a spare part? thought maybe I could fix it. He said, no, go. He said, no, you just got to buy a new one. So then I thought, well, maybe at Bed Bath & Beyond, they, um, you know, maybe somebody returned an old one and I could get some parts or something. So I called them up and I said, listen, I, um, I broke the steam cleaner I bought yesterday and wondered if you sold any spare parts. He says, no, sir, I'm sorry, we don't. But she says, just bring it back in and we'll give you a new one. I said, no, you don't understand. I mean, it wasn't your fault. It was my fault. I, I told her earlier, so I didn't tell her I dropped the couch on top of it. But, um, but uh, I said, it was my fault. It wasn't. Said, no problem. Just bring, bring it back in. And I was sold. You know, I was like, this is, this is my kind of story. And, and I just found myself talking about it. And, and just so you're reassured, they haven't paid me anything to do that on tour and to tell you. But, uh, but this is my point. When you experience good news, what do you do? You just naturally share it, don't you? I've seen that, you know, as I'm on tour, I just, I'm, I'm constantly, there's this fellow that I met, um, um, we had lunch, we had this nice lunch together on tour uh, one day, and at the end, just before we get him to go, he says, oh, wait, 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 I just have something to tell you. You know, and he says, yeah, I just have to tell you the story, you know, two days earlier, it's an ordinary thing, at least in my life, it's an ordinary thing, losing your wallet. You know, so he lost his wallet, and he told me this whole story, or my wife and this whole story of how he regained it. And then he just looked at us and he had this grin. He says, "God is good." You know, when you experience good news, you just naturally want to share it, and 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 that's um, and that's what we see here. I think in the life of the Apostle Paul, this is just one example. But in Romans chapter ten, verse one, he says this: "Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire, my prayer." We pray about things that are important to us, don't we? My heart's desire, my prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. You know, the Apostle Paul was probably one of the greatest missionaries ever recorded in the history of the Christian church. And why is that? You know, what is his secret? I think it's simply this, that the good news of Jesus Christ was so real to him, so powerful, he just couldn't contain himself. He wanted to share it with other people. It just naturally overflowed out of his life. Um, I was, a few months ago, I was doing my devotions in the book of Acts, and it dawned on me that the whole book of Acts is a demonstration of this principle of the overwhelmed overflow. Just listen to uh, just an example. In, in Acts chapter 4, um, Peter and John are in the presence of the Sanhedrin. Uh, they had been thrown in prison and all this kind of stuff's going on. They had healed somebody. And, but anyways, it says the Sanhedrin called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. That was the New Testament church. We cannot help speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. That's the overwhelmed overflow going into the, the lives of other people. And for the Apostle Paul, this overflow empowered him to make great sacrifices. Uh, empowered, empowered him to overcome difficult obstacles just so that he could tell other people this good news. 
In the beginning of this letter to the, to the Romans, he starts out in verse 16 by saying this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto what? Unto salvation, right? I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. That was true for me at age 17. I was going a completely different direction. I had kind of grown up in somewhat lukewarm church, didn't know what it meant to have a relationship with Christ. But God got a hold of my life and turned me around 180 degrees. It is the power of God unto salvation. I wish I could hear your stories, how he did it in your life. The gospel is the power of God for healing. I've heard so many testimonies of how God has touched and healed and done amazing things. It is the power of God for forgiveness and broken relationships, you know, and, and how forgiveness comes in. It's the power of God for overcoming fear and anxiety in our lives. The message of life in Christ is good news. Amen? It's good news. It's good news for us and it's good news for the whole world. And there's no catch in it anywhere. There's no fine print, well, if you, you know, conditions on it. It's just plain out good news for the world. And this is what the Apostle Paul says in that same uh, Romans chapter 10. He goes a little farther down um, in, the, in the chapter in verse 11 and he says this, as the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be disappointed. You won't be disappointed if you put your faith and trust in Christ. Let me tell you about Annie, a cardiologist. Uh, she's the lady on the right side of the, the, the sweater. Uh, we met her in uh, one of the church plants we were in in France. Um, but this is her story. Annie was disillusioned with life. Long ago, as a young adult, she gave up on the church. She had It was just an institution to her. It was oppressive. She didn't want anything to do with the church. Disillusioned. She was disappointed in marriage. She had gone through a very difficult divorce. Uh, she was struggling with depression uh, that was even interfering with her work as a cardiologist. It's about this time in her life that my wife met Terry. My wife is, um, uh, teaches English and she volunteers in a number of uh, local associations to get to know uh, people in the community and help out in that way. And, and so Terry met Annie and Annie began to see Something different. I mean, Terry was just teaching conversation and grammar. It wasn't Bible. But she could see the reality of Jesus there. And she began asking questions. And what's your husband do? And, you know, and, and then and Terry began to share with her about her faith. And then Terry invited Annie at, to the church. And at church, um, she met other people. And she saw the same overflow in their lives. And for Annie, it was, like I was, uh, it was just sort of an awakening to faith. To this, this beauty and reality of Christ, and she gave her life to Christ. And, so when, and then she just began to overflow. The two newspaper articles there, I put them up there just to, um, uh, once Christmas Day as a church. We went to the hospital and we were singing on the different uh, floors and um, uh, talking with people and singing Christmas carols and whatnot. And, and at the end, she said, uh, Todd, do you suppose I could just write up an article and just tell everybody in, in, in our town what, what God is doing and, and why we're doing this? And I said, Go for it. And then one Thanksgiving, we had an outreach in our home and had a bunch of people in and, uh, over Thanksgiving meal, and, and she did the same thing. Her life is, she gave her life to Christ two years ago. You should just see her bubble up with the, the joy of Jesus now. It's just, it, it, 
It's all worth it, you know, when I think of Annie. And I would do it all over again. You know, even if it's slow and hard at times, I would do it all over again for Annie. She's uh, going through a bout right now. She has cancer. She just had breast surgery last week. And, and, you know, she said two years ago, if I'd hit this, I would have given up. But now she has the hope of Christ in her. You know, she is a cardiologist, important person in the city. But the other physicians come to her and say, Annie, something's different. What is it about your life? Her family's coming up to her. What is it about her life? You know, knowing Christ is good news. And when we meet him, it just overflows. That's how the principle works. The more you experience the goodness and greatness of God in your life, the more it will overflow in the lives of others. The more passionate you will become about his mission. That's where mission starts in a week like this. It starts there. We sang earlier today, or earlier in the service, for the sake of the world, burn like fire in me. <laughs> That's where mission is birthed. Burn like fire in me. Is it burning in your soul? So my challenge to you this morning, my first challenge is this. Delight yourself in Jesus. If you want to be passionate about mission, then delight yourself in Jesus. Uh, allow him to enter into your fears and your worries. What are you worried about today? Maybe it's something at work. Maybe it's a daughter or son. Uh, maybe it's something else. Invite him in and experience his goodness and greatness. And then it will just overflow. Trust him for the healing of your body or for the healing of a loved one. Find his calm in the midst of your storm. We all get blindsided sometimes by storms. Invite him in. Look to him to find victory over sin. Are you struggling with something? He is power to help you overcome and become the person that you want to be. Allow his love and forgiveness to enter into your relationships. Are you struggling with a colleague at work? Maybe in your marriage or with a, a child. Allow him to come in. And when we experience his goodness, then it will just naturally overflow. That's where mission is birthed. It might be here that you're here this morning, you've never experienced this overflow in your life. It might be that you've never come to Jesus yourself. You see it in other people's lives, you've heard talk about, but you've never made that step yourself. I just want to say to you that today is your day. Don't leave this place if you haven't met the Savior. Allow Him to overflow your life with His goodness and His greatness. There's a second principle. And this principle is in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. And um, it's stated this way in the message translation. But how, can the people, but how can people call for help if they don't know who to trust? And how can they know who to trust if they haven't heard of the one who can be trusted? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? And how is anyone going to tell them unless someone is sent to do it? The peoples of the world can be divided into two groups. Those who have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ and those who do not have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the difference between the two is what we call the access divide. Um, and that's what I think Paul identifies in this, uh, in this passage. Um, you know, he's just talking about they will only have opportunity to hear if somebody is willing to cross, go across that access divide and begin... Um, sharing the good news with them. So where are these people who lack access? Um, there's a map here. It's, uh, it was done by what's called the Joshua Project. They, um, it shows the relative access that the peoples of the world have to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
it's not hard and fast. There are some red areas within the green and whatnot. But in general, it's this. The green areas are those areas in our world that have high access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The yellow areas, low access. The red areas are those areas that have little or no access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I think we can better understand this map if we ask this question. How many doors would I have to knock on before I could find someone who could tell me how to know and follow Jesus Christ? In the green areas, like in the United States, you might have to knock on five or ten, maybe fifteen doors before you could find someone and say, yeah, I can share with you how to know and follow Jesus Christ. But in the yellow areas of the world, like, in, like most of Europe, France and the different countries in Europe, you'd have to knock on hundreds of doors, maybe 500 doors before you could find someone who could share with you how to know and follow Jesus Christ. You know, um, there's, um, when our, our colleague of ours in, in, in France who's helping us plant the church, he's a Frenchman, help us plant the church in Bordeaux. When he came over, he's, he, some of his work brings him this way. He says, Ty, it just amazes me. You know, as I drive down the street from the, you know, my hotel to the place, how many churches I pass and the opportunities that we have. You know, France has a lot of vestiges of Christianity, but, um, but it's become a very secular place. And most people either do not believe in the existence of God or if they do believe in his existence, they see no relevant connection between him and their daily lives. And that's 66 million people we're talking about. In the red places on this map, you might have to knock on thousands or maybe up to 30,000 doors before you could find someone who could explain places uh, like in North Africa and other places like that that are very difficult to reach. But this, this isn't about statistics, is it? It's not about cold, hard statistics and maps. It's about people like uh, Sumia and Christine, I'll, uh, Sumi is on the left-hand side. She's got an amazing testimony. She's Moroccan from North Africa. But I want to tell you the story of Christine. It's on my wife's right side there. She's got kind of a, she's, she's a kook sometimes, but she's got a funny look there. But uh, Christine's story is very similar, actually, to Annie's. Uh, she uh, got to know my wife, Terry, um, through English teaching. And um, she had long ago given up on the church as a young person disillusioned with the church, um, asking some very hard questions. But she started to come to some of our church events, and, and Terry invited her to come to um, an alpha group that we were starting, and where you just dinner discussions, talking about key questions of our faith with people. So she invited Christine to come along, and Christine said to her, listen, I don't think you want me to come. I got some hard questions, and I might mess, it, mess up the discussion. And Terry said, it's exactly for you. You know, you won't be judged. Uh, you can ask the questions you want to ask. And it's up to you to, to decide whether you want to believe it or not. Just come. And so she came and she became part of this group. And it was about the fourth weekend, um, a week uh, together. And, she, uh, and, and her story came out. And she shared with us how, as a young woman, um, uh, she uh, was already married. But I don't know what happened, whether it was an accident or a sickness. But she had one of those clinical death experiences in a hospital where she clinically died, and in that moment, uh, she said she found herself in the presence of God. And God said to her, listen, it's not your time. You have something you need to do. I want you to go back. And she was resuscitated in those moments. And she tried to explain to the doctor what had happened, and 
you know, the doctors, and they just sort of laughed her off. And she tried to explain it to um, her family. It's the same kind of response. So she kind of clammed up. And for 25 years, it took her 25 years before she could find someone who could share with her the, what it all meant. You know, she told us, she wrote us an email just a few weeks ago. She says, uh, one day when she came over to talk to us about all this, she was in tears and uh, she was, you know, struggling with about certain things in her life. And, and she said it was the first time in her life she had heard somebody tell her that God loved her. There is an access divide. Christine gave her life to Christ, and you should see her live for Jesus now. It's exciting to watch her um, and uh, walk with the Lord. Um, but there is an access divide. There are places in our world that just is not available, like it's available to us. And God is calling us to go across that divide and to, to make a difference and to share the good news. Um, and, but those places are not easy places to go to. Difficult cultures, difficult languages. Um, it's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take a lot of effort. It's going to take all of us working together to do it. So this morning, I want to invite you to um, join others in our Lions family in giving this miracle of access to those who lack it in our world. And I know that this is a church that's committed to Christ and committed to His kingdom and the advancement of His kingdom. Um, and I praise God for what he has done in and through uh, this church. My challenge this morning is, and my challenge in missions conference is that we would seek God and ask him, what is the new thing that he wants to do in our midst? I'm impressed as I read the scriptures that our God is a God of the new thing. He's the God of the new covenant, isn't he? He's the God of the new song that he puts in our hearts. The psalmist is always talking about this new song. He's the God of the new wine and the new wineskins. He's the God of the new creation. He's the God of the new name in Revelation. He's the God of the new heaven and earth. New heavens and earth, you know. He is the God of the new thing. And so, what is it? Let's make it our prayer. In these next few days, Missions Conference is a great time as a church family to come together and say, Okay, God, thank you for what you've done. But this is a new day. There's a new calling. What is the new thing you want to do in us? So think in terms of how you might renew your commitment to pray. You know, um, What is the new thing he wants to do through you in prayer? You know, Prayer is our first and primary work. That's what, another one of the core values of our movement. It's not the only thing we do. And, and prayer is a beautiful gift that God gives to us. It's no respecter of age. You can be a child and move mountains. Or you can be 90 years old and move mountains. It's, you, know, you, don't, you don't have to be this flamboyant, popular, charismatic person, you know, that's always, you, know, you, don't, you don't have to be that. You can be very timid and quiet. It doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't depend upon how much money we make or how much education we have. If you have a pure heart and faith, you can impact the world for Christ. I was sharing with the earlier service, my mom is 82 years old. Um, she had knee replacement surgery last year, or last fall. And so I went to be with her afterwards in a convalescent home just to sit with her and spend time with her. And during that time, she asked me to help her look at her emails. So I pulled out my laptop and we looked at it. She had a lot of junk mail, got rid of that. You know, most of the, re the, the letters that were there, that were left, were just prayer letters for missionaries. 
And she'd just sit there one by one. She'd just read down through them. I was thinking, she's going to read the whole letter. Yep, she's going to read the whole letter, you know. She'd go right through them. And then she'd reach over and grab my hand and say, let's pray. Now, these weren't these, you know, complicated prayers. They were just simple prayers. But, you know, my mom was able to enter into places like Brazil and other places in our world um, and make a difference right from the convalescent home in Lima, Ohio, simply because she was willing to pray. So, you know, prayer is one of those things you have to just keep renewing your commitment to. You know, I think I made it. I'm a prayer warrior. And then go through this desert time. You know, you just get back up and you just keep praying. You know, what is the new thing God wants? If you want to be part of our prayer team, back on the display table, there's a a prayer card like this. And just send us an email and we'll keep you updated. And it has been a tremendous help to us. When we've done evangelistic Bible studies with atheists, and I'm scared, you know, we've said pray for us, people send back and say, hey, we got you covered. And it gives us the confidence to walk ahead. What is the new thing that God wants to do in you in terms of giving? You know, um, the Great Commission Fund is that fund that supports and enables missionaries to go, Alliance missionaries to go throughout the world. Um, And... It's said that they they figure about one uh, uh, or four out of every ten Alliance um, believers and members in the United States give to the Great Commission Fund. That's generating about $40 million a year, that four in ten. Imagine what would it be if it was five out of ten or six out of ten. You know, we could increase it another $20, $40 million. What we could do throughout the world. If you're not giving to the Great Commission Fund, I want to challenge you. To take a first step, understand what the faith promise is, that, uh, you know, what is it that you could give or um, are able to give or sacrifice or, or even by faith say, God, give to me uh, so that I can give. So be, uh, be thinking in those terms. And also just think in terms of what is the new thing he wants to do through, in and through you in serving. Um, each of us has a contribution to make. What will it be, you know? And not only think in terms of we're thinking, talking globally, but locally. As you serve in youth ministries or children's church or in, in the ministry of prayer, we can connect to God's mission and be a part of it. And so what is God calling you to do? What's the new thing he wants to do? You know, there's a lot of young people. It might be. You know, God doesn't call all of us to go. Some he calls to stay and some he calls to go. But it might be some of you young people. He's placing his hand upon your lives. And saying, listen, I want you to go. I know in France, within the next 10 years, most of the French church planners were all getting a bit gray like myself. We're going to be gone. We'll be retired. Um, and then we need a new generation that will be stepping in. And there's other places in the world. There's a new wave of mission. So maybe God's placed his hand upon you in that way. What's the new thing he wants to do? Let me just uh, end with these two stories and I'll be done. Uh, it's a story about... Um, First one is a story about a little boy named Ryan. I met Ryan in Africa. He and his family were there. They were not missionaries. They were expats. And they were um, um, living and working there. And we got to know them. They were going to our church. But uh, Chris and his mom and Ryan, they were walking down the street one day. And there's a lot of need in that, that's that country. As they were walking along, a man came up to them that was in great need, a homeless person, a lot of problems. And I don't know what he asked for, probably money. And so Kristen helped him out. And then he grabbed, she grabbed her son's hand and started to walk away. As they were walking away, she looked down at Ryan. She said, Ryan, count your blessings. And then they went on walking. As they're walking, this question was just tumbling around in Ryan's little mind. He was five years old. And he stopped his mom and he looked up at his mom. He says, Mom, why does God bless us 
but not that man. What a great question. Why has God blessed us? Why has he blessed us, but not that man? And Kristen said she looked at him and she said, I, I didn't know what to say. So she, that week she was in a women's Bible study and, and at the end of it they started talking about this question. And My wife looked at Terry and she says, Kristen, I think it's this. God blesses us so that we might be a blessing. Folks, God has blessed us. He has blessed us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the joy of knowing him and living in his kingdom, but there are people in our world that do not. Let's be a blessing. Amen? That's the overwhelmed overflow. The second story is about a little boy named Jared. I met this boy. I was preaching in a church out west. This is some years ago. I was a men's breakfast, and it was a Saturday morning, and we had a great, really good group of men around. And, we were, and I was speaking at the end of that message. I just asked a rhetorical question, you know, and I said, who will go? Now, I wasn't expecting an answer, but I mean, who will go? And all of a sudden, I saw Jared was five years old. I saw this little hand pop and he says, I'll go. You know, just, all these big farmers, you know, everybody, you know, but this little boy said, I'll go. And I said, God, may his tribe increase. May he give us the courage to be that, those kind of people. Say, I'll go. I'll give. I'll pray. I'll serve you. Here I am, Lord. What's the new thing God wants to do in our lives? Let's make this missions conference a week of seeking him and asking that question. Amen?